Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Not only in his lifetime was Leonardo da Vinci held in esteem, but his reputation became even greater among posterity after his death, wrote Vasari, the first art historian in 1550. More than five centuries after his death, the genius still inspires the same admiration. And even now, he's breaking records. In 2017, Salvatore Mundi, a painting attributed to him, though that is disputed, was sold for $450 million. And in 2019, the Louvre dedicated a major exhibition to him, which attracted more than a million visitors in four months. Bringing together his greatest paintings and many drawings, the museum celebrated an exceptional mind with limitless curiosity. Da Vinci explored many areas of knowledge, including perspective, astronomy, geometry, architecture, and engineering. Each era has created its own legend about Leonardo. From the 16th century onwards, he was celebrated as a painter. In the 19th, the discovery of his forgotten manuscripts made him famous as an engineer. More recently, some people have tried to tarnish this image, pointing out the gaps in Leonardo da Vinci's knowledge and claiming him a fraud. Despite these sometimes legitimate criticisms, the myth of the universal man, capable of inventing the future, has taken hold. He did design flying machines and tanks, after all. However, nothing predisposed the young boy, born in 1452 in the Tuscan countryside, to such glory. You're listening to Echoes of History, Behind the Legends, the podcast that tells you the true stories of some of history's most legendary heroes. As the Assassin's Creed franchise turns 15, travel back through 2,500 years of history to meet the men and women whose destiny led them to greatness. Uncover their stories and bring their legends back to life. Episode 10, Leonardo da Vinci. Born in Vinci, a small town halfway between Pisa and Florence, Leonardo was the son of Piero da Vinci, a notary, and a woman named Caterina, about whom we know almost nothing. Leonardo didn't follow in his father's footsteps, Attending university was out of the question as he was born out of wedlock. Surrounded by his grandparents' love, he was self-taught 
he devoured Ovid's Metamorphoses and spent most of his time contemplating nature. This appreciation of the beauty of landscapes and animals, combined with a particularly keen sense of observation, gave rise to his unmatched drawing skills. A bird in flight, the anatomy of a bee. From an early age, Leonardo filled his small notebooks with sketches. In 1466, the young man moved to Florence. His father got him an apprenticeship with Andrea del Verrocchio at one of the most prestigious workshops in the city. In this bottega, the master and his pupils excelled in a wide range of crafts from painting and sculpture to goldsmithing, cabinet making and metalworking. Alongside his talented fellow students, including Perugino and Botticelli, Leonardo observed, exchanged and accumulated impressive skills. And the city was a constant work in progress. He was fascinated by the building site for the dome of the Cathedral of Santa Maria del Fiore. Engineers had designed special cranes to position the building materials with great precision nearly 100 meters above the ground. Young Leonardo was responsible for making the gilt copper ball topping the dome. As it was made of several pieces, he had to climb to the top of the Duomo to assemble and solder it using a mirror to reflect the sun's light. During his time in Florence, Leonardo da Vinci established himself as an independent artist. In 1473, he painted Annunciation, an early work with some inaccuracies, but already showing incredible technical skill and originality. However, when he set up his own workshop five years later, at the age of 26, he struggled to stand out from the fierce competition. The Medici court remained inaccessible without classical training, Leonardo did not have the vital cultural background to shine among the elite. In 1482, he seized the opportunity to spread his wings. The next chapter of his story would be played out in Milan. When Lorenzo de' Medici sent him to the court of Ludovico Sforza to stage a musical, Leonardo made a bold move. He offered his services to the nobleman. In his letter to Sforza, the artist boasts, oddly enough, of his talents as a military engineer. He claims to be able to design war machines, cannons and covered vehicles, safe and unassailable, which will penetrate the enemy and their artillery, and there is no host of armed men so great that they would not break through it. By doing so, he created his own myth. It's true that Leonardo had drawn many military technical drawings by this time, but they were merely sketches, designed by borrowing extensively from contemporary engineers and often unworkable. Except that Leonardo surpassed all his predecessors in one area, technical drawings where the accuracy of his lines worked wonders. In an exploded view of an object, he broke it down, describing each part in detail. He had a perfect understanding 
of perspective. Leonardo may have taken and compiled the ideas of his predecessors, but in doing so, he surpassed them. Sforza was not so easily won over, and the so-called engineer had to wait until 1489 to properly gain entry to Castello Sforzesco. In the Milanese court, Leonardo gained a reputation for organizing celebrations, a key tool in political communication, and I suppose just fun. To celebrate the wedding of Isabella of Aragon and Gian Galeazzo Sforza in 1490 during the famous Festa del Paradiso, he staged a marvelous operetta, Il Paradiso, using complex machinery and special effects. A gigantic golden sphere spun among the costumed dancers and musicians. Glowing stars and the seven planets known of at that time were revealed through openings in the sphere. Between 1495 and 1498, Leonardo, who hadn't abandoned painting, produced one of his masterpieces, The Last Supper, which hung in the refectory of the Dominican convent of Santa Maria della Grazia. In 1499, when Louis XII, the King of France, chased the Sforza family from Milan, he was blown away by this gorgeous fresco. He even thought of taking it back with him to France, which was a bit cheeky. During the turbulent Italian wars, Leonardo became a sort of traveling military engineer, moving from town to town. He'd amassed real skills during this time in Milan, working with the best gunsmiths, observing cannon production in the arsenals, and increasing his knowledge of the art of war. While in Venice in 1500, he tried but failed to convince the Senate to carry out major fortification works. In 1502, he was 50 years old and entered the service of Cesare Borgia, who had just captured Urbino. At his side, Leonardo traveled his territory as his chief military engineer. He designed war machines, strengthened fortresses and drew maps. His map of Imola, which he created in 1502, revolutionized cartography. His design offered the first view of a town from above. But Cesare Borgia's rise came to an end in 1503, when he was imprisoned by his rivals. Leonardo then returned to Florence. This was when he started the portrait of Lisa del Giocondo. It was never delivered to the wealthy silk merchant who commissioned it. Little did he know that he was married to the most famous model of all time. Leonardo didn't finish the Mona Lisa until 1515, because he was involved in a massive project. In 1503, Piero Soderini, the new statesman of Florence, commissioned him to create a monumental fresco of the Battle of Angiari, celebrating the Tuscan city's triumph over Milan in 1440. The painter experimented with new techniques involving wax and resin for the project. But the experiment was a catastrophic failure. The colors ran down the wall. 
1506, Leonardo abandoned the work for good. Still, a lovely way of painting a wall. Alongside painting, the inventor tried to uncover the secrets of flight, because why not? This long-standing obsession can be seen in many drawings in his Codex on the Flight of Birds from 1505. In the game Assassin's Creed II, Ezio Auditore uses a prototype flying machine, designed by his friend Leonardo, to enter the Doge's palace in Venice where the Templar Knights are threatening to kill the Doge. The device used by the hero is an ornithopter with articulated wings. Leonardo really did design such a machine, aiming to imitate the shape and flapping of the wings of a bird of prey, but it would never have worked due to the lack of a sufficiently powerful engine. The scientist did not invent the plane, far from it. On the other hand, he is unquestionably a precursor of biomimicry, technical innovation inspired by nature. Careful observation of birds in flight had enabled him to isolate the principle of lift. So those long, lazy afternoons as a teenager staring at nature really weren't wasted. In 1506, Leonardo returned to Milan, now governed by the French. He became the key organizer of celebrations in the small court that formed around the Marshal of France, Charles d'Amboise. In 1509, he was tasked with staging the victory celebrations of Louis XII, who returned to the city a hero after his victory over the Venetians. After a few years in Rome, where he was the protégé of Giuliano de Medici, Leonardo accepted an invitation from Francis I in 1516. The King of France admired him and wanted him by his side on the banks of the River Loire. More than my crown, you will be the jewel of my kingdom, promised the king, which was very friendly, though a little creepy. After a grueling journey, an aging Leonardo moved into the Manoir du Clou, a manor house given to him by the monarch just a few hundred meters from his own residence, the Chateau d'Amboise. The scientist brought his books and precious manuscripts with him, as well as some of his best works, including the Mona Lisa. The young Francis I was at the height of his glory, following his victory over Charles V at Marignan. He gave him a pension of a thousand crowns and named him the king's first painter, engineer and architect. For the King of France, Leonardo once again became a great orchestrator of court festivities. In April 1518, he built his mechanical lion for the baptism of the Dauphin, Francis. When the king touched the mechanical animal, a secret hatch swung open on its chest, releasing lilies in reference to the fleur-de-lis, the symbol of French royalty. It was one of the Italian genius's last magical creations. Much weakened, Leonardo died on the 2nd of May, 1519, at the age of 67. During his lifetime, he skillfully created his own myth, and after his death, the legend continued. 
In a famous painting by Jean-Auguste Dominique Angre, The Death of Leonardo da Vinci, painted in 1819 for the 300th anniversary of his death, the old man takes his last breath in the arms of the King of France, who embraces him like a son. It's pure fiction, as Francis I was in Saint-Germain-en-Laye at the time of Leonardo's death, but it reflects Leonardo's place in our imagination. With his unforgettable pieces that revolutionized painting and drawings that sometimes feel like he has seen the future, Leonardo da Vinci embodied the creative power of human genius. His career, with its sometimes circuitous path, failures and many borrowings from the discoveries of others, reminds us that arts and science are first and foremost collective adventures. He may have been a genius, but Leonardo da Vinci was just one cog in the great machine we call progress. Thanks for listening to Echoes of History, Behind the Legends, a Ubisoft podcast produced by Paradiso Media. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. 